You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven. And today, in fact, I'm going to be on my own. And I thought, literally this morning, actually, that I would talk about tomatoes because they're so relevant at the moment with there being such a dearth of them because of the cold weather that we've had throughout Europe. So apparently, I I don't buy tomatoes at this time of year because I don't think they taste very nice, but apparently there are not only very few eggs on the shelves in the supermarkets, but there are very few, if not no, tomatoes quite little lettuce and salad leaves etc so I thought as now is exactly the time of year to be sowing tomatoes it might be quite a nice subject for me to chat about on my own with all of you so I'm gonna do our 12 points which have been our series for 2023 and I just thought I would I would talk about the 12 most important things that I think we need to know about tomatoes. And the first, of course, is varieties. So we've done lots of taste and productivity trials here and ease of growth. And I thought I would list maybe the top five or six uh, and describe why we love them. And the first is sun gold. And if you ask particularly any child, but actually most adults too, which is their favourite tomato when we do a taste trial here, sun gold normally wins. So it's a sort of orangey-yellow colour, quite small fruited. I'm sure lots of you know it already. It's exceptionally sweet. I mean, it literally is like eating sweets. It's so sugary. I remember our daughter Rosie, who's always loved tomatoes ever since she was tiny, but sometimes I would find her in the greenhouse just eating the sun golds like sort of like sweeties, um, like grapes or whatever. And and it is, it's just such a good variety. You can also grow outside uh, against a sunny sheltered wall. And uh, yeah, it, it's just a cracking big cropper, very, very tasty. Definitely my next is exactly the opposite in terms of size which is black Russian or noir de crime. It's from the Crimea. And I've, I've banged on about both of those quite a bit already in the past on the podcast. But it's a really interesting variety. And I'm going to come on to what gives it that really unusual colour, which is sort of dark crimsony. And I, I'm going to come on to what gives it that in point two. So um, moving on, though, another one that is really incredibly popular here whenever we do a taste trial is red grape sugar plum. And this is, it's a medium sized plum tomato with big trusses. And it's the reason we love it here is it's very sweet, but it's also sharp. So it's kind of got a really nice level of sugar and acidity. And we really love that particularly in a salad, but it also makes incredibly good tomato sauce. And then Definitely for cutting into a classic sort of cheese and tomato sandwich or using in a salad is tigerella. 
which is called tigerella because it's stripy and it's red stripe with a slight sort of goldy greeny stripe. Oh, sorry, it's red, but with a slightly golden greeny stripe over it. And it's incredibly prolific. It's it, the, the one when we measure our crop, it's the one that gives us most of all. So, I mean, gosh, I could wax lyrical about tomato varieties forever. Those are the ones that I just think, you know, if you possibly, if you have a greenhouse and you can possibly have a couple of plants of each of those, then you're onto a winner. If you only have room for perhaps six, I would do probably two sun gold, two noir de cream A or black Russian, and probably two tigerellas, I think, would be my selection. So I said point two would be about what's in them and what gives them their colour. Well, of course, red tomatoes, which is the most common colour, the pigment giving that is, is a compound called lycopene. And it is a classic red antioxidant pigment. But the point is, it's, it's an antioxidant. It makes the plant more healthy, but by eating it, it makes us more healthy too. And there's been really quite a lot of research into lycopene. And it's thought to protect organs, making them healthy. And particularly, apparently, the prostate and the breast. So whether you're male or female, it has a really positive effect on our health. And then the thing that I said I'd come back to is the thing that's in black crim or the noir de crime. It's got all these different names. It's the same thing. Uh, is It's got anthocyanin in it as well. Now, that is the black pigment that's in blueberries. And there's lots of research that blueberries are incredibly good for brain health. And that's why uh, the older you get, and I'm getting older, the more blueberries and blackberries and blackcurrants and all those black pigmented fruits, the more we can have in our diet, the better. And that is what you have in the black tomatoes. So there are others like Noir de Creme, which I mentioned, but also there's the one called Indigo Rose and there's a chocolate cherry, which is brown, but that's actually the black pigment over the red. But anyway, without the, without doubt, in my view, black Russian or Noir de Creme is the tastiest. So you've got the benefit of really delicious taste, very good productivity, and then this double dose of antioxidants, both lycopene and anthocyanin. So then onto the practicalities now. This is the moment. We we sow our tomatoes any time between uh, sort of about the 20th of February and the 20th of March. And so this will be going out just about in time. And we sow them into half-side seed trays, or you can just get a normal seed tray and just put a little stick across it. And so one either side of the cane and clearly label them. And you just scatter the seeds very thinly and, if possible, individually placing them over the compost. We use peat-free compost here. And then you cover them very, very lightly with more compost. They go onto a heated bench, which we make sure is set at about 20 degrees centigrade. And they will germinate in five to seven days normally. And so you'll see they come up and they've got very, very pointy spear-like seed leaves. I've got a pair of those. And once those are fully up and then between, in the middle of those, you get these little tiny baby tomato leaves with that classic, very indented leaf shape. Once you see that, 
that is the time from then on that it is safe to prick them out. And pricking out is where you move them from the seed tray where they were first. And I think of that as sort of nursery. And I'm then moving them into sort of primary school, basically. So they then get pricked out into their own individual pot. A nine centimetre pot is perfect. Again, peat-free compost. And again, put them back on a heated bench, about 20 degrees. And once they've rooted through into the bottom of that pot, you would then pot them on again. So they're then going on into secondary school. And the annoying thing is, and I promise I've trialled it, you can't go from kindergarten straight to secondary school. You need to take your tomatoes through the stages because they otherwise they sit and sulk. They just, they don't thrive. It's interesting. And when I'm pricking out, there is one thing that's worth knowing about tomatoes is that you can actually plant them almost down to the seed leaves. So normally you would try and prick out your seedlings to the same level that when you uprooted them and you put them into their next pot, they would be at the same level. But tomatoes are an exception to that and you can actually plant them more deeply. So you're burying a little bit more of the main stem than you were when they germinated. And the reason for that is that they're unusual in that they can actually form roots all the way down the stem. And those are, in fact, their feeding roots. And I'm going to come back to that in a bit. But so you've got your seed leaves and you're almost burying them down to almost their seed leaves. And that will mean they root more quickly into their new pot situation. And that's unusual is that they can, they, that whole length of stem has root potential. So you might as well use it because it means you get something growing more quickly. So once you've done that and they've been moved onto their next pot, which is their secondary school, you will need to stake them. And you put a cane, as soon as they start to grow, put a cane and it can be twine or green tape or whatever and support them. You don't want them bending over. And of course, they are naturally climbers. Now that differentiates between some tomato varieties and others. And all the tomato varieties I've mentioned in my list of must-haves are what's called cordon types, sometimes called indeterminate types. And what that means is that they are truly climbers. They're like vines and they're like jungle vines and they'll grow and grow up and up and up until either they get bitten off in nature or you pinch them out but you can also get these other varieties called determinate types and those get to a certain height and stop growing. And if you want to grow one for a window box or a container, Tumbler Tom is a classic variety that you'll see in garden centres everywhere. And that is, it gets to a certain height, stops growing and you need to stake it, but you don't need to do anything later like supporting it on a frame. Whereas the ones that I've listed all will need training. But I don't want that to put you off growing them because, of course, as they grow, they have a longer cropping season than the ones that get to a certain height, crop heavily and then stop. So if you want sort of mid-July and whole of August cropping, you probably want one of the ones that is a bush variety, like a determinate variety. Whereas if you want to go on picking right the way through the autumn, you want one of these cordon types, which are the ones that I first recommended. So how do you then train them? So what we do here is we do grow them in a greenhouse because it means they're protected against blight. 
So if you have a greenhouse, I would use it for your tomatoes. If you haven't, it's still worth growing them, but look for a blight-resistant variety. And as I've already mentioned, Sun Gold has some blight resistance, but it needs a sunny south-facing wall. So definitely these are a crop for the greenhouse if you have them. And what we have here is we have a wooden frame over the whole of the earth bed in the greenhouse. And over the top of that, we have panels of rebar. And they are horizontal over the frame. And we can put a drawing of this in the podcast notes. But then what happens is that you can then tie strings on the top layer, horizontal rebar, down to ground level, either onto a temp peg or into a ring culture pot, which again, I'm going to come on to to explain those. But the point is that you've then got this whole sort of avenue of strings onto which you can then flip your tomatoes as they grow. And as they grow up, you just flip the lead around your string and it's just so easy to train them. And then I find them much easier to grow like that than on bamboo canes. So then this thing about ring culture pots. So ring culture pots were discovered in America, I think. And it's basically, again, going back to where you would find tomatoes growing in nature. And they are a jungle vine. And there, there's a huge amount of organic matter, i.e. food, in the top layer of the soil where they would grow in the wild. But it's very humid and there's a huge amount of water evaporation in the jungle. And so the water roots are very deep and fibrous and will go down deep into the soil. And if you actually play to that, the tomato plant's physiology with something called a ring culture pot, which has got two chambers. It's got a central chamber, which doesn't go down so deeply into the soil. And around it, there is a moat, which has prongs that go down deep into the soil. And if you feed just into the central chamber, which are those superficial roots that I told you that you get if you plant your seedlings down to their seed leaves. Those are the feeding roots. And if you feed just into the central chamber with your liquid feed and you water only into the outer chamber, which has these prongs going down deep, they access the water roots. So you feed your top superficial feeding roots, you water your deep water roots, which are deep so that you don't get such a lot of water evaporation. That's why they've evolved to be like that. You get higher production and more intense flavor. And it kind of makes sense because you're not diluting the flavor with into the feeding roots. So I hope that's sort of explains ring culture. You don't have to buy the ring culture pots, you know, rather than recycling your water bottles, you can leave the lid on the water bottle, cut the base of the plastic bottle off and use that as a funnel and just with a skewer make holes in the lid, the plastic lid, and then you put your watering can or your hose pipe into the water funnel but you angle that down deep towards the water roots, slightly angling it, not uh, parallel to the stem, but slightly angling it in towards the roots from about 10 centimetres, 15 centimetres out from the base of the plant. And that then funnels the water down to the water roots and you feed into the soil, into the top roots. 
So that is how to uh, use a ring culture pot and why you might want to use them. Then, of course, there's training. And some people feel anxious about this. It's one of my favorite gardening jobs. So as soon as the plant gets to about 30 centimeters-ish, you'll see that between the central stem of the cordon varieties and the leaf will be a little what's called auxiliary bud forming. And with the bush types, you don't pinch those out. You just allow them to grow and they form a bush. With the vine types, the cordon types, you do want to pinch those out. And those are the buds, just to be clear, between the main stem and the leaf, not coming off bare from the main stem because that's going to be a flowering truss. But so you need to find a leaf and where the auxiliary bud is coming between the leaf and the main stem, pinch it out. And you keep doing that. I do that two or three times a week. And as they grow up and up and up, you continue to do that. And they'll throw off tons when they're really growing actively. And as they get into July and August and they turn their energy to fruit production, they will throw off less. But you still need to go on doing it through the whole growing season. And so pinching out, it makes people feel alarmed, but it really is incredibly simple. And as long as you do it regularly, you can just do it with your thumb and forefinger. If you let them get away, you might need some scissors or a knife. But it's a great pleasure because you're releasing this incredible smell, which is the most delicious smell in the world of tomato leaf. And the whole greenhouse fills with this incredible smell or scent. Unbelievably important also to think about companion planting. And when people come to the garden opening here, one of the things that they ask is how our tomatoes don't have white fly or green fly. And it's incredibly simple. It's not that we use chemicals here, insecticides, because we absolutely 100% never, ever, ever would. It's because we use plants to help plants out. And by planting the Tagetes family and the Basil family underneath our tomatoes in the greenhouse or in the garden, we just literally for 10, 12, 15 years since we started doing it, we've never had an infestation of white fly or green fly. And it just works so brilliantly. They just mask the smell and actually repel the, the um, blighty, insecty things like whitefly particularly. And you just won't get them attracted in. So that helps amazingly. And also, we allow some of them to come up to flower as quickly as possible. And with basil, we will leave every third plant to come up to flower completely because they draw in the pollinators. And that's one of the things in a greenhouse, you really need the bees to come in and to joggle around in the flowers of the tomatoes. And as they joggle around in the top truss, they will dislodge pollen that will then ripen the next truss immediately below it and so on and so on. So you need, and of course, the bees moving between one flower and the next will pollinate one flower to the next. And so the bees are your friend and the basil and the tajities will really help to draw the bees in will help to increase your production of your tomatoes. So you carry on training. And then once they get up to the rebar and the vine has reached the top, 
with certain varieties to extend the season and really with this whole dearth of tomatoes that, that we've been blighted by recently, I feel trying to extend your season out as long as possible is, is fabulous and having homegrown tomatoes as long as possible is fabulous. So we don't do what a lot of gardening books will tell you to do or veg growing books, which is pinch out the tip once it gets to sort of six foot with the small cropping cherries, we actually allow not just the apex, the, the tip, the main growth shoot to develop, but we actually allow two auxiliary buds to develop at right angles to the main vine. And we train them in as well. And so they come along at right angles to the main thing on the rebar. So we actually, towards the end of the year, so in November, we are still picking. They're admittedly small. But with Sungol particularly, they're still so sweet, they're really worth it. We we are still able to pick tomatoes really late in the year. So rather than pinching out with the smaller cropping cherries, it's really well worth training in those the, the three apical shoots and using them for a later harvest. The last thing, perhaps, is about harvesting the fruit and some recipes. And harvesting the fruit, it makes sense again don't harvest after watering, harvest before watering. We tend to water first thing in the morning at about between 5.30 and 6. Either I will do it or sometimes we have an irrigation system. And in terms of feeding, we start feeding once the trusses are actually starting to form fruit. So at the bottom of the plant, they'll be the first ones to form. So once you see a little green tomato forming rather than just flowers, we start to feed and we make our own potash-rich fertilizer from comfrey juice. And we've done a whole episode on that, so you'll be able to find that at another time. But basically, you make a rather putrid mix of comfrey in water and then take the liquid off, which is very rich in potash, and dilute it uh, 1 to 10 in water. Uh, but you can use tomorite if you want. But um, we try and use our own organic plant foods here increasingly. So... Always pick after harvest and bring them in and don't put them in the fridge. Try and eat them literally straight from the plant. But whatever you do, don't put them in the fridge because unfortunately in the cold, some of their sugars turn to starches and their de their flavor decreases. So just leave them out on a plate somewhere warm um, until you want to eat them. And you only need, you know, at the allotment, I mean, you can pick them and store them. But, you know, they won't go off in three to four days if you're going down to the allotment. If you've got your greenhouse at the end of the garden, just pick them immediately before you want to eat them. And the final thing, just to finish off the rabbity rant about tomatoes, which I'm so passionate about, is a few recipes. So I'm starting with the simplest first. So I love eating and picking tomatoes pretty much every day as soon as they start cropping in July. And I go on eating them until, well, pretty much every day until the end of September. And my standard, absolutely one minute recipe is 500 grams of tomatoes, mixed varieties, one mini cucumber like La Diva or half a normal cucumber, whizzed up in a food processor, with two tablespoons of olive oil and two tablespoons of either apple cider vinegar with the mother in or red wine vinegar and a little bit of flaky salt. 
And I absolutely adore that for lunch. And sometimes I put a hard-boiled egg into it and chop it up to give it a bit more substance. Or sometimes I even have it for my breakfast. I love it. And if you want a more sophisticated form of that, then something I had in America this year was a sort of, it was called something rather pretentious, like the distillation of tomato. But all it was, was exactly what I've told you, which is just pureeing up exactly that recipe, but just then putting it through a muslin overnight and not squeezing it. And you then get the essence of tomato with a little bit of the sort of watery freshness of cucumber and and then the lovely richness of the olive oil and the sharpness of the vinegar. And that gives you the most delicious sort of consomme style tomato soup, which is just exquisitely tomatoey tasting, but totally clear because, of course, all the all the fibre has been left behind in the muslin. So it's very chic and uh, you can get it in a little shop glass. And I have actually had it served with a little tot of vodka in it as well. And that is like an exquisite Bloody Mary. But anyway, that's a more sophisticated version of, of my one minute gazpacho. And then the final recipe, which is one of my absolute favourites for the larger ones, is um, what I call Cretan stuffed vegetables. And I spend lots of time in Crete and completely love it. It's the most magical island. And what you want to do is to get a, cut the lid off your tomato. Don't cut it all the way through. So you've just got a flap. And then with a teaspoon, just scoop out the seeds, but keep them. And then you want to get a potato peeled and put that in the bottom layer of your baking tray. And then you want to mix. I mean, I do it with lots of different vegetables, but basically you want onions to go in there too. And I chop them up with the juice and the contents of the tomato And then I'll soak some rice in water for half an hour to soften it a bit. And then I will then mix that in with the gubbins of the the onion and the tomato and scoop that back into the the tomato skin, the, the, the shell of the tomato, and bake it. But I'm going to put this recipe in the podcast notes because it's just completely wonderful. Salt, olive oil little dash of vinegar in the base and roast it with a little bit of water in the bottom. And anyway, I'll put that recipe because it's not in any of my cookbooks because it's a new one um, in the podcast notes. So I hope that will inspire you to either sow some tomato seeds in the next week or two, or perhaps to think about going to a garden centre or going online and buying some tomato seedlings or even some plants to come at the beginning of May, if you've got a greenhouse. So I would say grow your own tomatoes. They are so much tastier and they're one of the most rewarding crops you can possibly grow. Thanks so much for listening to Grow Cookie to Range. And I hope that was interesting about tomatoes. Bit of a bit of a raven rant there, but I, I am passionate about tomatoes. Uh, along with other plants like cosmos which we'll perhaps come back to in a week or two and next week we're actually i'm going to be joined by joe fairly who is a, a real scent queen and i feel with mother's day on the sunday after she it's just going to be so lovely to talk to her about fragrance perfume scent whatever you want to call it and joe 
knows more than anyone I know about garden scents and perfumes. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com.